Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Seabass of WNWS in Jackson, Tennessee. This episode presented by Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center. Wellspire offers personal and professional development opportunities in a beautiful facility in the Gulch neighborhood. Stop by for an event with world-renowned speakers or host an off-site event that will wow your team or your clients. We thank our co-presenting sponsor, The Well Coffee House, which turns coffee into water and has a mission to bring clean water to the world. Today's news, if there were any, would be sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, an SEC sports-loving injury firm in Nashville. These guys can shoot you straight on your rights and options when you've been injured in an accident. Call them at 615-846-6200 to get your questions answered. You may also visit them online at sbinjurylaw.com. The guest line on which Seabass appears, brought to you by Bowl and Branch, which was started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable the sheets can be until I got them. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women who are treated and paid fairly. Try them for a month. You can return them for free, but won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That's spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Today's question and answer session with Seabass presented by independent insurance agent Josh Minton of Brentwood. If you need home, auto, motorcycle, renters, landlord, life, or commercial insurance, Josh is the guy to contact. Call him at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Facebook at J.D. Minton HQ. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. I think you'll be pleased. Seabass joins us from WNWS as he's out on his walk. God knows what he will encounter. My friend, thank you for joining us today. No, the way you need to look at it, God knows what they're going to encounter if they step to this. <laughs> oh, man, it is a beautiful day, dude. There's not a cloud in the sky. Podcasting with my homeboy should be a big time. I took a walk just before we did this, and it is very nice out there. By the way, let me just tell you, the areas that I'm walking in right now, very hilly. So if your boy <sighs> gets out of breath every now and then, you'll know why. I did that one time while I was doing a radio spot, and I've never done it again. Well, I don't really feel any pressure here. <laughs> this is true. What am I going to do, kick you off? What are you going to do, cut my pay? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> right. Well, let's see. Since we talked, Saban Lee is gone, and the seniors in baseball have been given another year. Everybody's been given another year. Looks like the draft is going to be five rounds. I don't know if that's been finalized. So we have some things to talk about, or we could do a subject of your choosing. So where do you feel comfortable going today? Well, I wanted to ask you about that baseball draft. Um because I, I don't really understand. Is this a good thing for us or bad? For, for A, for Vanderbilt fans, and B, for prospects. I think it's a bad thing for prospects. For Vanderbilt, I'm not certain. I mean, I was talking to Tim Corbin about this week, exchanging a couple of texts, and I asked him for his thoughts. He said, I'm not ready to comment yet. And I thought, well... That guy probably knows how to anticipate anything better than any of us. Nobody I have ever met in my life is more prepared for whatever is coming next. So if he wasn't ready to talk about stuff, then 
I think that tells you this is all up in the air for a lot of people. I mean, I can give you some guesses. I think it's going to be the guys that are borderline top five round picks like Mason Hickman, uh, Tyler Brown, those sorts of guys that are going to maybe be back now that weren't before. I think the guys like Austin Martin, Robert Hassel, Pete Crow Armstrong, the guys that are potential first-round picks anyway, they're going to be gone no matter what. But then I think you throw the kids like the Browns and the those guys that might not get drafted in a five-round scenario, and then next year the draft just gets that much deeper. So they'll probably fall a little bit further down the draft all things being equal through no fault of their own. I think it's not just going to be interesting this year. I think the 2021 draft could get very interesting also. Yeah, so what about those prospects that don't get drafted? Do they have the opportunity to enter into the the draft pool for the following season? Well, you mean the ones – well, first of all, nobody's like out of eligibility yet, right? Like everybody – everybody – even the seniors get a chance to come back for next year. So I would assume, yes, unless they just give up baseball. No, the guys that I wonder about are like Ty Duvall and Harrison Ray, who would have a chance to come back for fifth years, but you don't know how much scholarship money they're on, whether they get into grad school, that sort of thing. Those are the guys that I really feel badly for. And now one thing, let me ask you this, if I understand it correctly, uh, from what I saw on that Kendall Rogers tweet is that there's not a roster cap next year for 2021. Is that correct? Well, I think seniors get exempted from it. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the rest of it, I don't think there's an exemption for the other guys unless I read that wrong. It's all so confusing. I mean, nobody's ever really dealt with anything like this before. And, you know, what I was kind of wondering about is like those high school prospects that are, you know, I know they have their, they, they can always out and go off to college, but, you know, let's say, well, let me ask you this. What would you say percentage of high school players pick between, between round six and 10 that take the contract instead of going off to college? How many, how would you, how many of them would you say do that? I don't think there's going to be 10 rounds. I think there's going to be five. No, I mean, no, I understand that. I mean, in the normal draft. Uh, Well, if you get drafted in the top 10 rounds, you're almost always going. So, see, even though it's not a a super large pool of players, still thinking about those high school players that would normally fell somewhere in between that 6 and 10. Should they be draft eligible, even though they're freshmen? So, if they can't go to the draft. Oh, I see what you're saying. That I had not thought yeah. about. I mean, I don't think so. I don't think the rules have changed. I just wonder if would they make an exemption there if they if they're basically saying, "Look, my choice was going to be the pros. It just was, you know." And, and they didn't want to go off to school, but they had to do something. You know, I wonder if they would give them that opportunity. You know, if they were, I don't know. So let's say, well. I don't know. I, don't, I wouldn't know how you'd manage that, but I just think it would be fair for them. You know, I mean, I mean, look, this is nobody's fault, but this is still something that they were denied uh, an opportunity that their predecessors had. 
No, I think what it's going to do is just going to make college baseball more loaded for the next few years. And they're going to also eventually reduce the draft anyway to more like 20 rounds. So right. college baseball is about to get better in terms of talent across the board, not just for this one coming draft and the ramifications from that. Making it much more difficult to find your way repeatedly back to Omaha. Well, the competition will be better, but right. the top teams also ought to get better. Like, I'll give you an example, okay? The McIntosh kid that the I think the Mets took, I want to say the Mets, it could have been the Brewers, but I think it was the Mets. That's a kid that never gets drafted and comes to school. Makes sense. Now, look, in a 20-round draft, that kid probably gets picked and, and goes anyway. He probably goes a little bit right. higher because teams know about his willingness to sign, that sort of thing. But in next year's draft, that's a kid like last year, then under this system, I think would have been at Vandy because he not, was not a top five-round guy. It's going to be interesting to see how it all works, man. Now, does that change? What does that do? I, I, I'm sorry. I just don't know. What does that do with the slots in those? Since it's been condensed down to five, I would assume the slots pay more, right? <laughs> that sounds like a billboard. <laughs> On the way to the casino, right? Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. Funny. No, but seriously, I think that the slots, as far as I know, are the same. I'll look this up as we are. Podcasting, I want to say the last pick in round five was the 161st selection overall and made around $460,000. But this is where it gets crazy, okay? If you're 162, I mean, not that there is, but like if you're that next player was going to get drafted, all of a sudden, instead of getting close to a half million dollars, the most you can get is 20 grand. Yeah, man. Man, that's man. That's like being the last person at the World Series of Poker to not cash. That's that's, and that's what I'm talking about, man. You know, but because that was the high guy. You know, maybe as a senior, a junior, something like that. He can always go back, but he only has to go back for that one year. A high school kid was never even wanting to go off to college and ends up having to be committed to three. I don't like that. I take that back. Um, 321-100 is the last pick around five. I think I was um, – okay. I got I got the number right. There's 161 picks, but the bonus is 321. Either way, a massive drop-off between the last pick and then free agency where, where you max out at twenty grand. No question. Man, just crazy time. What else, brother? You tell me. Uh, like I said, the only two oh, man, things hey, that have really happened. I'm, I'm walking I'm walking straight uphill. It's on you, baby. <laughs> um, well, we could do two things. We could talk about Saban Lee, or we could do some reverse podcasting if you want to do that. I mean, look, there's just not a lot to discuss at the moment for obvious reasons. Yeah, and I can't do the. I mean, it, it's it's fine for the board and stuff like that, and I, I just I've always had this rule as a talk show host to never get to the point where I'm asking 
or NASCAR drivers, athletes, or what's your favorite sports movie? You know. No, you know I mean, I'm, I'm there with you. The, the topic that's out there that I'm hesitant to dive into because there's just so many unknowns is, okay, what happens with sports if Vanderbilt takes a huge budget cut because of all the virus stuff and it impacting revenues already, what happens if football's canceled next fall? I mean, there's a whole ton of stuff we could get into, but it's just so incredibly speculative at this point. It's like, do you, yeah, you want to go there or not? Anything. Yeah, not really right. because it wouldn't be right. based on anything. Yeah. But hunches and feelings, and I, I don't want to live in that world. No, a lot of time between now and then anyway. We we do. Um, you know, we'll have the Vandy Sports 100 coming out next week, which will be interesting. That'll give us stuff to talk about for 10 weeks, too, um, which is where the bulk of my time is gone, actually. Yeah, I, I saw one. Uh, well, it wasn't about Vanderbilt, but it was about other schools. And they were they were they were discussing their favorite all-time uniform combination, you know, and uh, I mean, maybe one day we'll, we'll do something like that too, but I mean, look, there's still stuff, you know, recruiting still going on, though I did see that NCAA has pushed the uh, no contact on campus, official or unofficials, another month. You know, basketball is the one I think to that is going to get really interesting because football, you still have a pretty substantial timeline ahead. Uh, but well, basketball, man. Before you get to that, though, before okay. you get to that, Chris, that's true, but remember something. And it's something that I think that has been beneficial for Vanderbilt. And that is that because we have the early signing period now, we can have official visits in the spring. You know, we didn't used to do that. You know, a lot of these cats had their minds made up. I think it's Dallas and some of the camps are one of the reasons why we have a chance to be successful in June and the last couple of years have. So I, to me, not being able to get on campus and get these officials and these are even these unofficials, I think it hurts a school like Vanderbilt more than it does, say, a power school. Based on recent history, um, Maybe so. I don't know. I haven't given that a lot of thought. You know, because if, 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 if you're looking at, like, like, Chris, if your choices are like Vanderbilt to LSU, well, you know, I mean, LSU's going to speak for itself. You know, you, you'll eventually get there. But, I mean, a school like Vanderbilt, we've got to sell ourselves and be real shiny. And that and these early officials, I think, were extremely helpful for, for us. So I, I mean, I agree with you that it'll affect basketball more, but I wouldn't say that uh, football would be impervious from it. Yeah, um, I mean, you got a point. That That's one I just, like I said, I hadn't given that a whole lot of thought until you brought it up right now. Basketball has been where my focus has been because I think that is, it's, it's A, it's a nearer timeline, and B, I think you got a lot more at stake for them because roster changes, look, you've only got 13 scholarships, right? In football, you lose a couple of guys. Well, they're just a couple of guys out of 85. In basketball, you lose a couple of guys. You know, that's 20%, 15% of your roster. Um, and if they're significant, then, you know, the hit is more than that in terms of how it plays out. So, 
And are we, I mean, we look, I know it's been a source of contention on the board, but I mean, we are sure that Saban Lee will not be playing basketball for Vanderbilt next year. Look, I, I would never swear by anything, but what I've told is he basically told Vanderbilt, don't plan on me coming back. Okay. I mean, I, I don't know how, I, and, and people have taken issue with me saying that. <laughs> you know, I don't think they want to hear it, but that was pretty well sourced. Um, so, I, I don't know what else, I don't know how else you interpret that. I mean, look, the tweet he sent out, you know, everybody read that, thought that sounded pretty final. I think there's some people out there in denial. Uh, just as I think there are people in denial about Stackhouse's recruiting philosophy, which is, frankly, got them in a bad place right now. You know, I, I really hate to think that I've seen Saban put on that uniform for the last time. I, I've had so much fun watching that dude over the past two years. I know the seasons haven't gone well and the winds didn't pile up. That didn't change his effort, man. I mean, I, I think about him, and you know, you can take about take some players and compare them to other players in your program's history. But who would you compare, compare Saban Lee to that I could think of? Um, you know, the closest, and they're not really alike at all. Maybe James Strong, just because of the athleticism. Because, like, when you think of Saban Lee, that's the first thing you think of. And I'm thinking of guards that could just jump out of the gym like he could. And James is the closest, but they weren't the same dude at all. So you're right. I mean, there's no, but he's a guy that for Vanderbilt is kind of without a comp. I think he's totally without one because James Strong, while I like James Strong, was never the the offen- the, the potential offensive spark plug like that on an any night basis. I mean, he what did he go over 33 times at the last month of the season? Uh yeah, and I think four if you want to go back a week beyond that. All right, almost. Hey, you have to bear with me. I'm at the top of this thing. I'm almost done. You know, I'll tell you one thing, Vanity fans. If you have to be at home, can't work, whatever, I mean, still do your social distancing, but get out and walk. You know, take a walk every day. Stay in shape. Do something. Get your exercise. I can't just sit home, Chris. Couldn't do it. Have you? Oh, uh, have you been out? Well, I guess your this the extent of your social interaction is walking, because you can't go to the station, yeah. right? No, 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 yeah. nope, nope. I've uh, in the last three weeks, I've left the house three times to go to the store around the corner for necessities, except for my daily walk. Okay, Saban Lee's game log, if you start back with the LSU game, here's the point totals, 33, 20, 20, 23, 18, 34, 14, 10, 38, 19, 30. Do you happen to have the percentage, the shooting percentage in those games? Uh, yes, actually I do. So let me go through those. 33, 50, 33, 60, 40. Oh, I'm sorry. That's three-point percentage. Um, Let me start over. 60, 50, 31.3, 45.5, 46, 71, 36, 19, 70, 44. 
Now, he hit... Um, I don't know, about a dozen three-pointers in there, too, which that – you account for those and the percentage gets a little better um, if you – because you should account for that. It's it's a higher-value shot, but that's what he shot. You know, one thing that I would say about Saban at the – that you frustrate me about him it's a bit – question and I'm not talking about dunking we all know how good he can finish that way but his ability to finish at the end of drives you know what I mean Chris not just flushing one down but he you know a couple years ago he'd get to the rim all day long and never finish yeah plagued him a little bit but but as as the older he got the more mature he got he was much better of a finisher he didn't miss many layups or dunks this year no almost none that I can remember yeah and that was an issue a couple of years ago, and it's now he's just see, he he really found his groove and found a way to finish. I mean, it's great if you can get there, but you got to finish. Um, yeah, that, I don't know. Gosh, I don't know what they're going to do next year without him. I mean, I guess you better hope DJ Harvey is better than advertised. Right. I mean. Well, I mean, Scotty Pippen, Scotty, well, let's say this, for a, a point guard, Scotty already shoots a lot. You know, but that's okay. It, it, it works for him and it works for us. So I don't think that's a problem, but uh, he needs a running mate. Yeah, I think you know? Pippen, Pippen's a really good point guard. He'll be one of the better ones in the league. Yeah. I think the wild card now is to sue, now that I think about it. Because he was, he'd be really good one night, and then not do much the next two or three games, and then he'd give you 19 points or he'd give you 12 and 10 or something like that. But it was about like in every third or fourth game, he was really contributing, and then the other games, he just didn't give you much. So I think that one, okay, that's that's the scenario where all of a sudden, if Harvey is a big-time scorer for them, Harvey's got to improve his shooting percentages. It, they just weren't very good at Notre Dame. If the Sioux steps up and is more like the guy, the nights he was good, then all of a sudden they've got three guys who could maybe put it in the hole. Those are two big ifs, but uh, that's the hope that I see. Well, you know, here's the thing about the Sioux, and follow me on this, and maybe I'm completely off on this, but tell me what you think. What if this team this past season was a veteran team and the Sioux had maybe four minutes less per game, four or five minutes less per game, and you didn't get to see as much, but you saw how he could flash like he did against Kentucky. If we just saw that, we'd be talking about, and then let's say we had the same roster turnover that we're going to now, we'd be saying, man, what about the potential of Dylan DeSue? Through the roof. He's going to get to be a star. He's going to be counted on more. And I think the I think we'd have a little bit more praise for him. But because he played more and was, as, as you mentioned, it was hit or miss. But it didn't change the fact that he was still a true freshman. There's a lot on his plate last year, especially if you're asking him to be a running mate or a scorer like that. I think this is about youth. And that's all it was for him because that dude's got it. He's got the length that you can't coach. 
and he can knock a step and, and he can play a little D and he can get to the bucket. He just needs he just needs more reps. I mean, I, I think it's all there for him. I just think some of the, the, the some of the the reservations might be inconsistent play. I would submit to you that was part of being a true freshman. Oh yeah, show me a freshman who's not inconsistent, and I'll show you a guy that's heading to the NBA the next year. Absolutely right, Chris. I'm sorry about going down a busy road, but that's absolutely right. You know, if he wasn't, we probably wouldn't be looking at him to be on this roster anyway because we playing for the Miami Heat next year. So, you know, I think we're fine there. You know, I just I just think there's a couple players that really have to step up. Getting Clevon back would be great for this team, especially inside. You know, I know he'd be hungry and raring to go. Do you feel pretty good that's the case? I have not heard lately. I would figure he is based on the way last season ended. Okay, and here's your supporting cast, okay? It is Evans, Wright, um, you mentioned Brown, Quentin Malloy, Brown, and Obina. And then, of course, the – no, I said Malloy, Brown. That's just – it's not – boy, they're not deep. See, that's that's what I'm getting at with the whole signing thing for basketball and the virus kind of destroying everybody's chance to visit. Um, you just they got to pick up some. Tra- and I I think this is a thing across college basketball, right? I wonder how many guys out there that are in the portal are going to wind up staying where they were because you may go the whole summer where you can't visit another campus, and how many players are going yeah. to go? to a school they couldn't visit. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't do that. So what I'm getting at is, A, it it changes things for everybody, but B, they were in a spot where they really needed to pick up an immediate impact transfer if they could do it. And, of course, the one-time transfer rule might make that possible. But I just think that that really puts a clamp on their ability to get a quick fix. Yeah, the the ability to to get on campus and, and get that visit huge. I'm trying to remember the young man's name, but wasn't the one guy that we lost in football last year to Northwestern who flipped? Wasn't he the young man from IMG who never actually made it to campus? Uh, the Butler kid. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while, but I want to say that he was the one that hadn't actually made it to campus and really didn't lose anybody else. Well, and they haven't been very good on sealing the deal when they get kids to campus either. Yeah. Basically, they're going to have, if everybody, if Brown comes back, if you want to throw Albert in there, he'd be nine. But my concern is, uh, boy, depth is... Well, and they'll get the Stute kid, too, although I don't know how ready he is. But that's um, – you're back at a spot where, unless you can add some impact guys, your depth is going to be really um, – I won't say precarious because they've got some guys who played before, like Jordan Wright could come off the bench maybe, but they don't have um, – they don't have a lot of surefire – Guys that you you know for sure what you're getting, I guess, is a good way to put don't it. Don't have a lot of on paper offense. I get that. Well, I it's mean, it's I mean, not it's not a, it's not a really talented bunch one to eight. 
all, th- all things even, that's true. I mean, I mean, that's that's that, 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 I'm not gonna I'm not gonna quibble with you on that. The, the, the results kind of speak for themselves as far as that goes. Uh, what, now, what about the young man uh, from Rice? Uh, uh, do we know enough to know whether or not this guy? We heard talk that you know from the roster and practices and whatnot. If if, if he's somebody that you think can contribute next year, I've heard he's okay. I don't think he's a difference maker. Right. A body for the rotation, in other words. Yeah, well, I mean, I think he'll either he or Ben will have to play. I'll, I'll say this: he did um, his efficiency numbers at Rice weren't bad. I mean, he shot sixty percent from the field. Um, he scored a little bit. I mean, I don't think he's a. I think he'll help them. I'll put it that way. I just don't think if you're looking for him to come in and be an All SEC guy next year, I don't think he's that guy or, or, or the year after, from what I hear. So. You know, I think the thing that could take us, uh, well, I mean, you know, the roster is what it is, especially if Saban's not going to be there. But uh, the the guy who, if he could take that next step consistency-wise, could really change some things for us is Max. I mean, that's the thing about Max is he's flash. He plays hard. Now, the dude plays hard. And uh, there are times when he is fun to watch and then times when he just kind of goes away. Uh, if he can turn that switch on and leave it on, and you know it's not about the work because he's constantly putting the work in, uh, but if he can turn that switch on and keep it on, that would certainly help a lot. Because like I said, Scotty's going to have to have a running mate. I thought you were going to say Obena. Well. Because that's the one that everybody's <laughs> always said, well, if the light clicks on, you know, then – and big men develop later, so I just think, look, if, if I'm – I don't think the range of outcomes with Max Evans is very far outside of what we've seen. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm saying one thing that would certainly help his team is if he were able to do that because it's one thing to be – look, it's one thing to be inconsistent and have inconsistent results just because that's all you're capable of. But when you see this guy flash at times, you look at it and you think, God, why not, why not three nights from now? I already know you can do it. It's not like, you know, we have a player and every now and then he does a little something good. When he's good, Chris, he's good. Yeah. Um, he, man, More he had consistency. A, he had and, a, and it would open up so many things for other players. He had a really weird year. You know, I mean, the thing about Abena, and I like Abena, and Abena plays hard, but, you know, for me, the thing about Abena, and to, to, to win me over, I've seen too many times where he's at the bucket and can't finish because he either gets just overmatched physically, you know, or, or he's just he doesn't really have a plan once he gets the ball. And, and then there were times, you know, he'll make a great play, you know. But the, the thing, for me, the thing with Abena is he's got to get stronger. I think he's got ability around the rim, but I, I, I think players that are even maybe just a little bit stronger than him or about the same size generally tend to dominate him and take the ball away from him too easily. Now, that's the way I've, I I interpreted it. So for me, I mean, I, I would agree about a Bennett too. One thing I need to see from him more than anything is get strong, get mad, take that basketball, own that pain, and that's not really something I saw a Bennett do. Okay, I wanted to look up Max Evans' game log, starting with the LSU game, which was probably the most random 30-point game I've ever covered. In fact, I don't think there's any question about it. So he gets 31 against LSU. 
Here's his game log in terms of scoring for the rest of the year. 7, 10, 10, 4, 10, 3, 5, 8, 20. <laughs> you, you would assume there was an injury, right? And, well, in, in, in a, it gets better. The, the, um, the five games before the 31, he goes 3-0, 3, 3 10, 9. 31. That, I mean, it's almost it's like the ultimate tease. You know, it's like, show me some eye. You've proven. you Because people can either do this or they can't, and you've shown me that you can do it. You know, I still, I mean, even though it was on the low end, even after that, I, I saw three or four more uh, double-digit, double-figures uh, uh, box scores, and I'll take that. It's just the three and the six and the seven and the four that we can't live with. We don't have the depth for that. He shot 39% from the field. He hit seven threes against LSU. He did not hit more than three against anybody else. Yeah, they – and there were times I thought in the last couple of games where uh, he looked a little bit hesitant. In fact, I think we talked about it on one of the podcasts is that there was I, – I kept seeing him pass up some shots that he had been bombing in a couple of games and uh, then would just not take the shot. Well, I think what that tells you is his baseline is like on a good night, he's going to hit two or three threes. So if he's going to be a score, the points are going to have to come from two, probably. Man, look, if I can get 12 points out of Max Evans for a season, I'll live with that all day long. But if you can give me two three-pointers a game, give me give me, give me, me three two-point field goals, and a free throw here and there, you know, 12, 13 points. I, I'll, I'll, I'll live with that all day long. Yeah, um, he averaged 8.3 last year. Well, there's no reason he couldn't improve his scoring by four or five points a game. Well, saving Lee and I, there's going to be – I was going to say there's probably opportunity with, with Lee and Neesmith not around. Of course, he didn't have Neesmith for right. half the year, but – um, yeah, that's my point. Well, it's it's it's, 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 it's at that point it. it's not really the point. It's the question of how efficiently do you get them. That's fair. That, that that's fair. And do we have anything inside that draws people down at all? You know, because it makes it a lot harder on the perimeter when no one fears you. Uh, you know, your post game whatsoever, and you've only got one or two guys that can beat their man off the dribble to the bucket. Yeah, uh, back to Ballora Brown, blocked 37 shots as a freshman at Rice. So maybe you get a little bit of rim protection there that you didn't have last year. Yeah. And frankly, haven't had in a while since Luke Cornett. Yeah, see, I think what's being said here is is that you're, we're going to be asking a lot from from people that I'm not saying you shouldn't have to ask a lot from that's not the way the way I want to say it, but that we're probably asking a little bit more than the capabilities of some of these players are uh, producing. Gosh, I'm just thinking the funk they're in is nothing I would have ever foreseen four years ago. They win five games and finish 13th three seasons ago. They go 0 for the league last year and 3 and 15 have finished last this year. What's the conversation? Hey, what's the conversation, though, if Saban Lee says I'm coming back? 
how, how are you phrasing all this? Everything's clearly not the same, you know. But but what's the narrative if he were coming back? Um, if he comes back and everybody else but Neesmith comes back, I mean, I won't count Moyer, Yankovic, who weren't going to help them anyway. Then if everything goes right and they win most of their close games, they might sneak into the NIT. Hey, what? Given what we've dealt with for the last couple of years, I'd rub your feet. I'd romance a porcupine for the NIT at this point. The problem is the league is perceived to be better next year. The league was perceived to be that it was going to be great this year. Yeah, I know. The league was a massive disappointment. So, and I'm not saying that it won't, but, you know, that was the same narrative going into this year. Maybe more so. Oh, I know. I know. So maybe at some point you have to ask if that's going to happen. But I keep going back to the coaches, man. It's still a roster of outstanding coaches in this league. No, yeah. Yeah, no question about it. And so I guess that's one of the main reasons why recruiting is so paramount right now and why it's so frustrating that we're not pulling some of these kids in. I'd like to get that. Hey, one thing, I'd love to get that sharpshooter out of Minnesota. I think that would certainly help out a lot of things going forward. Oh, man, they need a shooter in the worst way. Well, he would definitely be the one to get. The, what's the last just pure shooter they had? Riley the Chance? I mean, you could say Darius Garland, but that's not really how you thought of him. Well, no, Neesmith, of course. Well, yeah. But th- I guess what I'm getting at, they haven't stacked a couple of them together in a while. And what's what really unfortunate is now more than ever, that's what this game is. Yeah. You know, if ever there were a time to need shooters. And you know, the thing about it is that in the past, that should have been one of the easiest things for us to get. Now it seems like it's the hardest. Man, I go back. I don't know what the reason for that is either. Well, I think it started with Bryce Drew trying to change the way that he ran the program. And, look, I understand what he was doing, okay? It made a lot of sense at the time. You need better athletes, but he just wasn't the guy to coach them. I think if they get a more traditional Vanderbilt coach, you know, the way Stallings ran things or the way C.M. Newton did, those guys always knew you had to have shooters. And they always had them. And that's one thing they might be lacking for defense or rebounding or whatever, but they never went seasons without shooters. Other than the little blip they had um, back around 13-14 where they had Rod Odom and that was about it. But, I mean, you, you go back, man, I don't know. Is, is, is literally as long as I can remember, they've had shooters. I cannot remember. I mean, maybe in the VBK era, there might have been a year, but they had Drew Maddox in there. Pax Whitehead could shoot it a bit. I mean, I'm thinking, like, okay, you go back to the. They had all kinds of shooters when Kevin was there. Like I said, it, with the, with the exception of that one team. You know, they had Freegy, they had Mario Moore, although Moore was not really a, 
a high percentage shooter, but he could fill it up at times. You go back before that, you know, I had Brendan Plavik. That was right when Kevin got there. Uh, I talked about the VBK era. Of course, you look at Fogler, and he had just just had him in droves with Elder Anglin and McMahon and McCaffrey and um, Secker. I mean, they just had guys that could light it up. That's how Newton built his team with the bomb squad. I mean, they had Booker, Goheen, Mays. Wilcox could hit some. You go back before that, you go to Phil Cox. Before the three-point line, you go back, you go to Mike Rhodes. I mean, I just cannot remember a time as far back as my memory will carry me where they had a drought of shooters like they've got now. And again, Neesmith, they had one there, but they just, they have not had them in clusters in a while. Right. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, it's like I said, it should be one of the easiest things to, to for us to score, especially today, because that's what everybody does. I mean, nobody really plays defense. So uh, you would think that that would be the, the, the best time for us to get in. And, and I guess it's just because that's what everybody is targeting now is, is the perimeter shooter, I suppose, or we're just missing on our recruits. But I say that, but how many of these recruits that we're signing are, that's what they're known for? You know, and I think that's kind of what you're in at with Bryce maybe a little bit is how many of them that have we brought in that that was their deal? You know, I mean, obviously Aaron and he certainly lived up to that. He was averaging 24 points a game when he went to the when it, when he went down. Uh, but I mean, how many of these guys were really shooters in the first place when we recruited them? Well, it goes back to the thing that I say over and over. A coaching hire is the most important investment you can ever make. And they went from, I think, if you go back and grade Stallings, I'm going to say he was probably a B-plus hire. I wouldn't call him an A because he left some meat on the bone when it came to postseason. But, man, Kevin's teams, when they were bad, they were not bad for long, excepting his first few years. Once he got it going with the Freegy senior year team, they were usually at least respectable. And they might not be in the postseason or they might be in the NIT, but they were going to upset a, a team or two at home. That possibility for the most part seems to have totally gone off the radar with the exception of LSU last year. Yeah. Um, but man, you, you go back you go back to where they were in football with Franklin to Mason. It just you hire the wrong guy and you're you're screwed for a few years. And there's really unless you are Kentucky where they reloaded, they went to Calipari, there's just no there's no two ways about it. And, you know, I like, like I, I, like I said, the thing about that is, is that the good news is, is if they figure that out recruiting wise, that should be the easiest thing to do. Look, if there was a run on, on six foot 10, well put together, big men who were protecting the paint. Now that's going to be harder for us to get, but I mean, I mean, think about think about it like this, Chris. Think about a school like Lipscomb. Look how good of shooters they are. Yeah, you know. I mean, if that's what if that's what's if that, I don't I don't know. It's kind of frustrating because if that's where we're at, you would think that if some of these schools like Lipscomb and Belmont can find these shooters, why can't why can't the other part of the West end do it? And I understand well, they're playing it's a much more difficult conference. I understand all that. But, you know, those kind of teams have set themselves up to play against teams like us. 
I go back to philosophical change. I think that Bryce put the wheels in motion for the way he wanted to play. It was a disaster, and that's just kind of where they are right now. I mean, it remains to be seen. I mean, Jerry's a, a pro-minded coach and was certainly good at draw. I, I don't know how much, I guess what I'm trying to say with him, I don't know how much of the way they played last year was how he wants to play or out of necessity because he just didn't have a lot of choices. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't think anybody's gonna gonna be too critical of, of Jerry Stackhouse coaching wise. And and if you you know listen to some of the experts and during the end of the season, there was actually quite a bit of praise for him. I think what one coach or one writer from the Knoxville area voted for him as coach of the year, which I, I that that's a little much, obviously. But still, I mean, I, I think I think opponent wise, there there was some respect for him and the job that he did. Yeah, I mean, X's and O's wise, he did some stuff with putting together an offense for them where they got more out of the talent than they thought they would. Now, the thing that surprised me is all that talk about defense, defense, defense. They were really bad on that end. And again, it goes back to talent, but a lot of times you can get a team to play a couple stations above its talent just by um, by working at it. And maybe that doesn't, apply in all situations. Maybe that was the case last year, but that was a surprise. I thought that they would be better on the defensive end than they were, and they were just bad. Yeah, I, I did too, and it was certainly disappointing. Chris, I just, I'm going to have to wrap it up. Yeah, I am too. The uh, taco truck is coming. That's how we're getting dinner tonight. Lucky rascal. Pick me up some chorizo. You bet. Hey, tell people where they can find your show and find you on Twitter. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Cheap Seats Bass. We'll talk about Vanderbilt Sports, what's left of it. And you can find me on my show 6 to 8 p.m. Monday through Friday on 101.5 in Jackson. He is Seabass. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vanderbilt Sports Podcast.